Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. everyone and welcome back to a live edition of Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. Good morning, Michelle. It's been too long. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. It has been too long. I was prepping for the show last night and I was thinking so much happened since we last spoke that we do not have enough time to get through all of it today. There is a lot that has happened. <laughs> and Part of it was what happened last Wednesday, the last time we were together, when we got word that the final draft had come through for the settlement between St. Louis and the National Football League in court. And at the bottom of this hour, we're going to talk to Dave Peacock, former member of the St. Louis Stadium Task Force. Chris Kerber is also going to join us. A lot of football to cover, a lot of hockey to cover. And baseball is going crazy. Michelle, they're gonna they're, they're gonna shut her down on on Tuesday night, tomorrow night. They're they're, they're just gonna shut baseball down because of their broken system. It's just such a, a terrible system. And so, with that being the case, you you know that nobody wants to do anything because they want to wait until the system is good, right? Yeah. If you're an owner, you're gonna lock out players. You say, oh, this system sucks. We we aren't doing anything until we get a new, better system. Yet there's a flurry of activity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Trevor Simeon, a seven-year, $75 million deal with the Rangers. He leaves the Blue Jays. A five-year, $110 million contract for Kevin Gossman to leave San Francisco and go to Toronto. And the big one might be coming during our show. The reports are that Max Scherzer has been offered $120 million over three years by the New York Mets and John Heyman reporting this morning that the Dodgers are pessimistic about being able to keep Max Scherzer in a Dodger uniform. The Cardinals already made their deal, and boy, boy does that look great now. 44 over 4 for Steven Matz, and apparently a few more signings on the way today. So, yeah, it, it looks to me like the system is so bad that baseball just has to do something about it. Yeah, good thing they're going to shut it down, right? And disrupt everything. But I am excited to see this flurry of activity. How exciting is this? It's like the NBA where you've got stars making big deals and it's all happening in one condensed time frame. It's really exciting. But this Max Scherzer to the Mets thing, when I first read that initial report, I was thinking, what? Because it seems like everything we had heard up until this point is that he and his family wanted to stay on the West Mm -hmm. Coast and that all signs were pointing to the fact that he was likely going to stay with the Dodgers. And of all the situations that I thought that he might find desirable. The Mets and what's happening with that organization right now did not seem like one that I would think would be on his radar. But playing in the biggest market in the country is appealing. Certainly getting a massive check from an owner that is vindictive and willing to spend Mm -hmm. right now is also appealing. But Max Scherzer with the Mets, Randy, just doesn't feel right. This is what happens when you put Scott Boris in charge of your destiny. It doesn't come down to happiness. It doesn't come down to where your family is most comfortable. Here's a guy that is coming off a $210 million contract and has a world championship under his belt. And what's he doing? He's going for the most money. And that's because Scott Boris is his agent. His wife doesn't want to be in New York. His, they've, they've got three kids and three or four dogs. You don't want to be in New York with three kids and three or four dogs. You want to be out at a, at a place where you have a yard. 
and sure, he might Randy, be Randy, with hundreds of millions of dollars, you can find a yard in New York. <laughs> Let yeah, me tell but, you. Uh, I'm telling you that your wife... You can wife, get a driver. You're not going yeah, on the no, subway. I, I was... Actually, it was Greg Gamsinger that said... When I talked to him about free agency, he said, no, his wife is all about the West Coast. They aren't going anywhere other than the West Coast because that's where she wants to be. Well, Scott Boris changes everything. Which is interesting. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if he'll be happy there. I, I wonder that, too. And obviously, we have an extra special connection with Max Scherzer because he's a St. Louisan. Uh, but just in general, I really like to see someone of his caliber end up in a situation like with the Dodgers. We don't like the Dodgers here, but I was happy to see Max Scherzer mm-hmm. have a chance to be great and have a chance to win. That's something that I think a lot of people want is they want greatness to have an opportunity to be great. And I don't know if he's going to have that there. The Mets are a mess. Yeah, they are They're an absolute wreck. mess. Yeah. And even if Steve Cohen goes out and assembles what looks like a World Series contender, I have no faith in that organization to actually get the ball across the finish line. Well, it's hard to have faith because you don't even know who the manager is. Correct. <laughs> Great point, Randy. So it's a seven-year deal for Semyon. Obviously, the Cardinals signed Stephen Matz to four, Gosman to Toronto, and more on the way today, and we'll keep an eye on that for you. Meanwhile, yesterday in the NFL, it was another crazy day. The Pittsburgh Steelers, and we'll talk about this in four downs coming up in our next segment, but the Pittsburgh Steelers lose to the Bengals for the second time in a row, 41-10. to 10. I think they're done. Yeah, I kind of think that's the case, too. Not only just this season, but for a while. They need a quarterback. Yeah. And they need an offensive line. They they need players on offense, no doubt about it. The Buccaneers score late and knock off the Colts 38-31. It looks like Tom Brady and his team. And Leonard Fournette are back. Leonard Fournette. Four touchdown runs for Tampa. Leonard Fournette looks great. The Bucks look like they're rounding into form as we head into the playoffs, Randy. And watch out. Here comes Tom Terrific once again. Speaking of, here they come, a sneaky four wins in a row for the Miami Dolphins. That's right. And Tua with one of the best performances, oh. if not the best performance of his career this weekend. Hello. When the when the Pate Dolphins were down at, at one and seven, we weren't saying he was too legit to quit, but he was. <laughs> and well, uh, we were saying it's just the two of us. Right. Yeah. He has led them to four straight wins. Their defense has allowed 11 and a half points a game over the last four games. And so the Dolphins get to five and seven and in the playoff hunt a little bit with a 33-10 route of Carolina. The Patriots, you mentioned they're yeah, six in a row now over uh-huh. the Titans, 36-16. Uh-huh. You're, pa- you're Patriots. Well, Randy, didn't you say that there was no chance they were going to make the playoffs? Yeah, and, if, and if they did, you'd spin the wheel? I did. So and they're not my Patriots. I'm just cheering for them because I want you to spin the wheel. Let's see how it goes, though. They did play a Derrick Henry-less uh, Titans team, but let's see how things go now when they play the Bills at Buffalo, they play the Colts at Indy, then they play the Bills again, and then they have to wrap up with the Dolphins at Miami. Well, that's tough, especially yes, with is. the Wizards playing. But that Miami-Carolina game, circling back to that in a second, I think that's a very classic game of which team did we learn more about in that game, Carolina or Miami? And even though we love the Dolphins and we love Tua, I think that that game was more indicative about the state of Carolina right now. There were rumblings yesterday that if Dave Aranda would leave Baylor to go back to LSU as their head coach, that Baylor might pursue Matt Rule because he wants to get out. He wants out already? Yeah. yeah. So the And we'll give you the other scores because obviously we want to hit on the college football here. Uh, the, the scores of note for you. 
Packers beat the Rams. That's definitely uh, of note. 36 to 28. Listen, again, if we're talking about which team we learned more about in mm-hmm. that game, we learned way more about the Rams. And Randy, it's almost like collecting stars and making acquisitions to put butts in seats and not maybe necessarily the best football decisions all the time mm-hmm. isn't an, uh, a successful endeavor. I no, don't know. It's, it's not a seemed... great model. It hasn't really yeah. worked yet. Mm. The 49ers are only a game behind the Rams now in the standings. They beat Minnesota 34-26, and the Rams still have a tough schedule ahead, including wrapping up with a game against the 49ers. You hate to see it. Yeah, I do. And then last night, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens knocked it off the Browns 16-10. Which move, which thing that happened over the Thanksgiving weekend surprised you most? For me, it was Lincoln Riley with the news yesterday that he's going to be the new head coach at USC. That was a shocker. I was not expecting it to be Lincoln Riley. And for two reasons. One, I didn't really expect him to leave Oklahoma at this point. And especially if he did, I didn't know if USC would be that appealing to him because he's got a lot of work to do and a lot of pressure that's going to surround him from the second that he steps on campus but also I didn't know if USC was that desirable to pull away someone Mm -hmm. like a Lincoln Riley and it does go to show you that USC even though that they've had their struggles for a while now still is one of the preeminent programs in this country and that even if you're a coach like Lincoln Riley, who's at a place like Oklahoma and who has built something that the lore of Hollywood and the lore of that program and being the guy to turn it around is still pretty big. And their new athletic director, Mike Bone, has provided resources to get them back to where they need to be. Riley has done a fantastic job of recruiting in California. As a matter of fact, their number one recruit has decommitted Oklahoma's number one recruit from Southern California, Los Alamitos High School, the number three quarterback in the country, has decommitted from Oklahoma. And he said he hasn't opened up his commitment, but I have to believe that he's going to stay home probably and go to USC. So Riley to USC So right now, the Oklahoma Sooners need a head coach, and Billy Napier leaves Louisiana to become Florida's new head coach. The thing that moved me the most this this weekend, and there was a lot of stuff that happened since we last convened, was Michigan finally beating Ohio State under Jim Harbaugh. What a scene it was in Ann Arbor at the Big House. I was really happy for Jim Harbaugh that he was able to not only beat Ohio State finally, but do it at the Big House and do it handily. There was no question about who was the more dominant team during that game. I loved the scenes afterwards of the fans rushing the field, everyone seeing Mr. Brightside. It was... To me, the the best game that I watched over the weekend was Michigan-Ohio State. And, Michelle, Ohio State just doesn't get manhandled. And they got manhandled by Michigan. 42-27 was the final. And I don't think it was really that close. I, I didn't think it was a game after the first quarter. I agree. And how about the fact that the weather, you know, was was, vi- great. was very great with the snow. And is there a better rivalry in sports period right now than Michigan Ohio State? No. No, it's Nothing even really comes close for me. The the hatred that both teams have, mm-hmm. the fact that both programs have been competitive for a long time. You know, you still have Cardinals Cubs or Yankees Red Sox or even some Duke of the Duke Carolina. Even Duke Carolina college basketball has taken such a backseat to and that'll other regress things. too. Yeah, without Kay and and Roy Williams, that will regress. But it just seems like nothing really holds a candle to Michigan Ohio State, and boy did it deliver. And finally, congratulations to the Slough soccer team. They advanced to the Elite Eight with a four three win over Duke on Saturday. And good luck to the Billikens as they participate in the Elite Eight. So we're off and running here on one hundred and one ESPN. Coming up, Michelle. Michelle and I will bring you four downs from the NFL on 101 ESPN. We 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is time for four downs in the NFL on Character and Smallman. First down. And Michelle, we may be seeing the end of a couple of dominant NFL entities. In their loss to the Dolphins yesterday, Carolina saw former MVP Cam Newton go 5 for 21 for 92 yards and two interceptions. He's the first quarterback to complete less than 25% of his passes with a minimum of 20 attempts since Peyton Manning in week 10 of 2015 when he was finished. The Panthers have lost Newton's last 10 starts. He looks done as dinner. So do the Steelers. A 41-10 loss to Cincinnati swept by the Bengals this year. Mike Tomlin's defense has allowed 82 points, 82 points in the last two games. You know, it's alarming. Um, It is. You know, we're not trying to play it cool by any stretch. You know, uh, we don't play football like that, but we have been uh, the last couple of weeks. And so, um, you know, some adjustments need to be made. So the defense playing bad, and they need a lot of players on offense, including a quarterback. Which isn't that easy to find. I don't know if you've heard that. I've heard that, yeah. And they haven't taken one with a premium pick really since they took Roethlisberger in 2004, even though they knew he was reaching the end of the line. So this falls on the front office there, too. Yeah, they, they put too many eggs in the Mason Rudolph basket. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Second down. Well, heading into the Bears Thanksgiving game versus the Lions, Randy. Yes, Matt Nagy was prepping for the game, but he was also dealing with a lot of drama, a lot of rumors swirling that that could be his final game, that he was going to get canned. His son was getting booed at their high school game. He was dealing with a lot. But Bears team chairman George McCaskey came out and said that the reports that Matt Nagy would no longer coach after that game in Detroit, they were not accurate. So Matt Nagy at least has a job until the end of the season, and he ended up pulling out a victory over the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving. It wasn't a pretty one thanks to a 28-yard game-ending field goal. They ended up beating the Lions 16-14. to Randy, I didn't think they were going to win that game. I thought the Lions were going to beat the Bears in that game. But the Bears are now at 4-7. and seven. They ended a five-game losing streak under Matt Nagy this season. And even though they won that game and there still is a chance for the Bears to finish out strong this season, it feels like the fate is already sealed for Matt Nagy. And he might not get fired until the end of the season, but names are already swirling about potential replacements for Matt Nagy in Chicago. Tampa offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich has been thrown out there. Uh, Brian Dayball, Buffalo's mm-hmm. def- uh, excuse me, offensive coordinator, has been thrown out there. And a name that seems to be thrown out anytime a coaching vacancy comes up, New England Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels. I thought you were going to say Jeff Fisher. <laughs> no. Who was a member of the 85 Bears and probably would kill for that job. He would be an interesting hire. He would. I think that they've done enough in terms of hiring guys that have never been head coaches before. I think it's time for them to, although they did have John Fox, I guess, as their last head coach. But they need somebody who you know they know what they're doing in Chicago. You need to have somebody who's stable and has a decent plan there. And it's been a while since they've had somebody. And that starts in the front office with Ryan Pace. I think they need to replace him, too. Two playoff appearances for Matt Nagy. His record overall, 32-27. and 27. And how many of those games that he's coached in has he been a, a walking dead coach? Yeah, a lot. Because he had Mitch Trubisky. Mm-hmm. The front office got him Mitch Trubisky. So 
Yeah, and then even when he got Justin Fields, it was already assumed that he was going to be fired or that he wasn't handling the situation right. Right. They've been trying to run him out of town basically his entire tenure. Right. Yeah, the, they hated Trubisky. They got rid of him. They hate uh, Nagy. They, they're trying to get rid of him. And they, they aren't talking about Ryan Pace. And maybe, maybe they just don't have enough good players. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Third down. Michelle, the Los Angeles Rams. The Los Angeles Rams have lost three in a row now, started seven and one, seven and four now. They were trampled in Green Bay yesterday. And quarterback Jalen Ramsey said, we should be able to win. We have guys that are way too good for us to be losing games like this. Um, and losing games in a row, we have, I mean, we just got to get it right. We got we to play better. We got to, everything has to be better um, because we're too good to be to be losing games like this but we're not playing um we're not playing like we're that good right now so we gotta we gotta correct our correct our stuff okay jillian you have two guys that are a lot of good but then you have a lot of meh. who who so, are you putting in that category aaron, aaron donald aaron donald and him jalen ramsey okay. account for 25 million dollars of the rams cap on defense the other nine starters account for 18 and a half million dollars so you got two guys making 25 and the other nine uh, making 18 and a half. That's your problem. When you go out and get all these stars that you were talking about, they're making a lot of money and you can't build a balanced roster. Also, th- there's a lot. Sure, acquiring Von Miller is great. Bringing in Matthew Stafford certainly made a splash and it's an upgrade at the position. But it seems like they're just trying to acquire stars to put on billboards and mm-hmm. not necessarily thinking about team chemistry or if it's the best fit for them. The last time Odell Beckham Jr. was a great NFL player, the Rams were in their first year in Los Angeles. Now they're in their sixth. Uh, Von Miller, when the Rams got him, had played in seven of his 28 previous scheduled games. It's Bill. It's Belichickian, Randy. It's everybody thinking that they can be Bill Belichick and mm-hmm. bring in fading stars and revive them at the end of their careers. It doesn't always work that Can't way. Can't build a team that way. No way. Fourth down. It also really works for Bill Belichick when he has Tom Brady as his quarterback. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know? Well, speaking of Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots, Randy, remember 2020, not great for old Bill. Uh, Seven and nine marked that season. Tom Brady goes off and he wins the Super Bowl in his first year in Tampa Bay. Two and four start to the season. We were questioning Bill Belichick. Has he lost his mojo? Well, thanks to another quarterback who's burgeoning and making Bill Belichick look very smart and Mac Jones, the New England Patriots delivered their sixth straight win on Sunday. They beat the Tennessee Titans 36 to 13. Mac Jones continues to impress Randy. 23 of 32 passes, 310 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers. He looks like the offensive rookie of the year right now. And um, let me pull up the standings here in the AFC. Okay, we have the Tennessee Titans sitting at 8 and 4, the Ravens sitting at 8 and 3. Oh, who else is at the top? The New England Patriots amassing an 8 and 4 record sitting at the top of the AFC standings. Ooh, no, aren't the Ravens ahead of them? Well, they're tied. Eight and, the Ravens are eight and three. Okay, yeah. So let's eight, eight wins. Uh, I, I, I'm I still caution people to pump the brakes because among all of those victories, which are wins, you still got to win the games. But you do have wins against the Jets and the Panthers and the Browns and the Falcons and the Henryless Titans. So I I would caution people to pump the brakes a little bit and let's see what happens when they play the Ravens. I am not pumping the brakes because I'm a Mac Jones believer. He looks like the real deal. He looks like Bill Belichick found his replacement for Tom Brady. Yeah, and I, I'm not buying in yet. 
So I, I'm just I, I, I am not. Let's see how he does against the Bills defense this weekend. Just get those fingers ready to spin that wheel, Randy. I'm telling you. You got it. Those are four downs on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, former St. Louis Stadium Task Force member Dave Peacock has a reaction to the NFL settlement between St. Louis and the NFL last week. We're going to talk to Dave next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Well, last Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning, we got word that St. Louis interests, the city of St. Louis, the county of St. Louis, and the regional sports authority were headed toward an agreement with the National Football League to settle a four-year-old lawsuit that claimed fraud and unjust enrichment for the league. Fraud by the Rams and the league and unjust enrichment for Stan Kroenke and the National Football League. It turned out on Wednesday morning, Michelle, that the agreement was finalized and it wound up being worth $790 million for the St. Louis side, for the plaintiffs. Unfortunately, we never got a chance to see in a court setting what St. Louis had against the NFL. And this is certainly a win for the legal team representing St. Louis. This is certainly a win for the city. But, Randy, I don't know about you, but over the long weekend, I talked to a lot of people who are sports fans here in St. Louis, and they feel a void here. They really wanted to watch all of this play out in court. They wanted their pound of flesh. And even though St. Louis did extract all of this money from Stan Kroenke in the NFL, they feel a little incomplete because they're never going to get that. Throughout the course of this process, I said that one of the things that I wanted out of this case was closure for Dave Peacock and Bob Blitz, who literally spent more than a year of their lives, November of 2014 until January of 2016, trying to get an actionable stadium plan in place and took away time from their families and their jobs. And Dave Peacock, part of that task force, joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. And Dave, it's always good to hear your voice. Hope your Thanksgiving was good. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks, Randy. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I want to start with this. How did you feel about the settlement when you learned about it? Um, I, I guess, uh, you know, probably a little relieved, um, I think, because I do think you don't settle for that kind of sum of money without an admission of guilt. I know that, I don't think they put it in the papers themselves, but at the end of the day, you don't write a $790 million check without admitting you're doing something wrong. Um, I just heard you all talk, and I know people kind of wanted the trial and the drama around the trial. Um, in the end, I think what people know is pretty much what they would see in trial. They might get a little more detail and a little more about, you know, different aspects of the deal. But it's the end of the day, you know, we were told to follow a process. There was relocation guidelines that were publicly disclosed. We followed those. We were told all along and encouraged all the way up through a meeting with the commissioner in, in October. Um, and then everyone knew kind of how things played out with Eric Rubman getting on the radio and other efforts to undermine our, our, our process, even though we were encouraged by the committee um, while we had league executives undermining uh, a bit, or at least seeming to try to. And um, we did what we, we were asked to do. You know, we had a, a full construction design building. We had financing in place, including, you know, public funds approved in the city through the Board of Aldermen. 
Um, and we had the site, which was actually one of the hardest things. We, no one ever really talks about, but getting the site secured was actually a big challenge. Um, it wasn't written about a lot, but getting options and, and quote-unquote control of the land was one of the biggest challenges, and we had that. And at the end, we were ignored, and then the claim in the case was that the relocation um, guidelines didn't matter. And one of the things I said, well, if the relocation guidelines don't matter, then why did you hold a town hall meeting with, with emails telling us that the relocation guidelines are the reasons why you're setting up that town hall meeting, uh, the one, Randy, that you spoke uh, so eloquently at? So just a lot of pretty obvious kind of glaring process breakdowns that I think led to the settlement and, like I say, to me, um, an admission that the process was flawed. So w- with that being said, Dave, that – we we kind of know as people that have paid attention to the process we know what the nfl did was there something and if so what was it that you would have liked to have have come out in trial that hasn't been revealed publicly yet um i mean as i think about it there's nothing that, that jumps out um you know i do think um, and I've said this before publicly that this was more of a league and probably a league staff issue um, with, with a handful of owners maybe kind of supporting. Um, I know everybody voted, I guess it was 30 to 2 at the end. But I think by then, even the people that saw the gaps in the process were broken down and frankly were said, okay, if you're going to indemnify me, fine, I'll vote for it at this point because it seems like everything's pushing that way. And I know how those days go when, you know, they've been there for hours. And even if you're an owner who says, man, I don't like how this process is playing out and I don't really like, um, you know, the LA project uh, that ended up getting approved for this reason or that reason. Um, but, and, and frankly, Stan was pretty, in my opinion, um, was pretty open about wanting to move. Um, you know, I, I don't, wouldn't have done it the way he did it, and not talking publicly for years and kind of dismissing fan base and what have you. But at the end of the day, he was pretty transparent about what he wanted. And had even said at one point, Hey, I don't know if the legal let me move to be honest. So, um, and when I think of the, I do think the league probably knew of his plans in LA before they claimed they did and, and, and then made statements to the contrary you know, after knowing that. Um, but beyond that, I don't, I don't really think there's anything, you know, specific. I mean, we really all have the benefit of hindsight. And as it's playing out, that's one thing I try to explain to people and, and it would have come out in trial. You don't really, you don't see all the pieces of the puzzle until, you know, the picture is clear, until the puzzle's put together. And so we didn't know there's people say, oh, well, you knew this wasn't going to work. And you knew, I said, we didn't. In fact, the day of the vote, as you know, committee voted five to one in favor of Carson. So we thought, oh, well, this is great. You know, committee is approving effectively a project that would keep the Rams in St. Louis. So, um, at the end, you know, I always figured when we went into this that we'd either keep our team by making it too difficult for them to move. Um, maybe we'd have a new owner. Maybe they would figure out some other plan. You know, maybe it wouldn't be the Rams even, but that we would keep an NFL team or that, would make it difficult enough and that there would be a likelihood of a process breakdown where there could be litigation. And we saw that that happened. And I know we spent a lot of money that people, Master T. Vilver and the St. Louis Business Journal wrote every month how much we'd spent. But, you know, the $18 million now 
in lieu of a $790 million um, verdict or settlement is, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't look uh, like, like a bad idea at this point. And we really did believe we could either keep the team or have some positive outcome. Um, never envisioned it would be as much as it, as it ended up being. Dave, I want to follow up on something that you just said. You're talking about hindsight and now that the picture is clear. So are, are you saying that you didn't feel like the fix was in with the NFL at any point throughout this process, even though you might have felt that it was flawed up until the vote? I'd say there's in terms of the fixes in. I think that there were people, especially as you got in the late fall for the vote of, I think it was 2015, that we could clearly feel league staff kind of working against us. Um, for whatever reason. And then that's one I, I don't really know, unless it's just they felt Stan's project was just easier to approve or easier to get done. Um, but we also, at the same time, we're having, and we were told at that point to, to deal directly with the, the committee, the, the, the group of six owners. And at that point, we had great interactions um, all the way up into December with the LA Opportunities Committee. And you know, Bob McNair um, worked directly with us. Um, I remember him calling me at one point um, and, and saying, you know, hey, if, if, if you all could come up with a little bit more money and, and do some other things, um, you know, I think we could maybe look at $300 million versus $200 million, um, as far as a league contribution. And he couldn't guarantee it. He said, I'm, I'm chair of the finance committee, but I think it's fair to put that on paper. And we, have, we even went back to confirm that before we launched our – um, final financial proposal to the Board of Aldermen because we wanted to make sure, like, this is going to get public. We need to make sure that you're at least aware of that. And he didn't have a problem with it. Um, and that was, gosh, I don't know if it was late November or December. So our interactions with the committee, despite what the league staff was doing, gave us, you know, comfort and some encouragement. We sent books to every owner and turned everything in a little bit ahead of schedule. And as I said, the day of the vote, that afternoon, we hear the committee voted five to one in favor of Carson. So we're thinking, great, this is this is working out. You know, we're nervous and we're uncertain like anything else, but uh, we, we felt pretty good. You certainly go through times when you're getting frustrated when it's this state senator or that state senator saying they're going to attack the financing plan or this league person doing something you know, in the media. But um, I'll tell you, it, during the process, we never felt – that everyone was against us because we had, you know, like I said, this, this good interaction with the LA Opportunities Committee. How was the interaction with Kevin Demoff during that fall? Uh, minimal. Um, he was engaged in the process early in through the summer, probably midsummer, um, And by kind of late summer, you know, he would, he would, we presented to the league, you know, he was there. But there was pretty minimal interaction at that point. And as I said, I mean, I, I think it was clear by, for everybody that Rams wanted to move. Mm-hmm. And it was really going to be in the league's court to decide that and ultimately the committee to make a recommendation to, to the league owners. And, and so, you know, for them to, to fake that they were, you know, focused on St. Louis, I think, was, was not going to be something they were going to do. Dave, you've obviously learned a lot throughout this process, and hindsight is twenty twenty. But if someone was going to go into business with the NFL and they came to you for advice, what advice would you give them? It's a great question. No one's ever asked that. Um, I'd say, and again, some of the players are different now than they were back then. But, um, you know, 
make sure you have all your bases covered and make sure you get everything in writing and be as thorough and as thoughtful as possible before entering an agreement with the league. I do think this process has probably taught the league and, and when I say the league, the league staff, but also the owners and, and people have to remember that they, they are somewhat different. I mean, the owners quote unquote control the league staff, but as far as how day to day operations run, it's, it's, it's a little bit like a board of directors in a company. You, know, you have management of the company and you have a board of directors that meets at whatever frequency. Um, they're, I don't think they're always on the same page. Or sometimes, like you find in companies, you, I don't think that the, the, the owners always know what the league staff, uh, the approach they're taking. Um, that may be different now, but um, it would just be that, to make sure you have all your bases covered and, and to have things very, very, very thought through and buttoned down. Dave Peacock with us for a few more moments here on 101 ESPN. Dave, you did build up some good relationships with NFL people during the course of the process. And with that being the case, and with this puzzle being complete now, you probably have a better read of anybody as to the the viability of a future NFL team in St. Louis. What do you think it is? I don't think it's very high. And I think, and that disappoints a lot of sports fans. I think the reason is beyond, let's say, relationship with the league and the settlement and all that, um, one, you have to have an owner and no one has stepped up in our community to own an NFL team. And you need to have at this point, several billion dollars given the cost of these teams to own a team. That's number one. Number two, it, you know, you've got a three team market right now. So to bring a fourth team in could be challenging at the time we had the Cardinals and the blues. We did not have MLS soccer yet. And MLS was much smaller even then than it is now. And so it was a different dynamic. We knew we could support an NFL team, but by bringing a fourth team in, you know, you've got to think about revenue relative to sponsorship, ticket sales, what have you. And, and it can get tough for a city our size. It's nothing, you know, you see it in Chicago and New York and some of the larger cities, Philadelphia, but it gets a little harder for a city our size. So I think some of those things, you know, lack of an owner and with the financial kind of wherewithal and commitment to really do it. And, and I think, even with that, I think that the question of quite kind of fourth team that's going to require, you know, several hundred million dollars of revenue per year to sustain itself. Can it can it make it with very successful baseball team and exciting hockey team? And frankly, I think one of the, what's, what's going to be one of the top five MLS teams, you know, in the league when that team starts playing. Dave, that's a very truthful and realistic answer, but it's probably really disappointing to a lot of sports fans here in St. Louis who are very emotionally attached to the Rams and to the NFL. So uh, a lot of fans don't really feel satisfied by the outcome of this settlement. What would you tell them? As someone that was in the eye of the storm, what would you tell fans who feel disappointed by this outcome? You know, I think at first I'd say where were you a couple of years ago in the sense of mindset. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, we saw articles that were saying that the lawsuit was frivolous and crazy. And yet here we are, you know, a couple of years later with $700 million in settlement. I do think it's an admission. It's the largest settlement in a relocation that I've ever heard of um, in any sport. So it says a lot. It's, 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 it's set precedent, if you will. Because um, it's going to be hard for any team to move from a city if the city is making any effort to keep that team without this sort of an outcome or without being thoughtful relative to their process. So I think that's 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 a precedent, really. That'll probably go on forever. Um, you know, I understand. I look, I'm a huge football fan. It's the one sport I played in high school. So, <laughs> um, you know, I wasn't good enough to do anything else, and wasn't even good at football really. But um, 
so I hate not having an NFL team here. I mean, I love the experience. And, and, and it's, I said someone in New York who I'm friends with, they said, look, you know, the NFL should actually feel kind of good about this as much as they hate writing the check. The fact that their brand leaving a city matters to the point where it's cost them almost $800 million, you know, means that the, the brand and the business means something. Um, it's just, you got to go through the process the right way. So I know people are disappointed, but at the same time, they have to look up and see where we are. You know, we've got an exciting baseball team and a team that's, that's changing with some of its roots and heritage with Wayno and, and, uh, and Yadier, but some great new players. You've got a hockey team that's exciting. It's just won the cup recently. And then Major League Soccer, I don't think people haven't been, even if you're an, a moderate soccer fan, when you're going to, I think the experience you're going to have here in St. Louis is going to be incredible. And you've got the Slew Billikens playing well. Um, you've got an exciting new coach at Mizzou football. Um, you know, saw last year at Mizzou basketball doing well. We, we've got a great sports, um, both tradition and environment and great sports teams in the, in the St. Louis region and the, in the greater area. And it's a lot to be excited about. Finally, Dave, a lot of people think they know how the $790 million is going to be spent, or they certainly have opinions about it. How would you like to see the $790 million spent? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. I've had a couple of people ask, um, and obviously I won't be involved in that, but, um, yeah, I do think anything that can, that can help generate economic activity for the city. It's what an, it's what an NFL team would do. Right. And so whether that's convention center, whether that's, um, obviously dealing with some of the, the crime issues you have down in, especially in, in kind of the central corridor, but throughout the city, um, because it has the reputational impact. Um, and I do think there's some foundational things that, that are kind of root causes for some of that. You know, early childhood education is important, education in general. Um, obviously, some of the mental health things where the, the, the resources have been short. And, and, and those things don't, believe it or not, take as much money as people think. So there's a lot between this, this funding and the federal stimulus dollars that, that's going to have to be decided here in the next year or so as to where it goes. But I, I'm excited that there could be a generational impact on the city if, if people make the right choices and and really kind of work this, these dollars hard and invest them invest them wisely. And Dave, I, I neglected to ask this, and I, and I want to. As you know, I'm irrationally bitter about the departure of the franchise. You spent a year getting no money and basically doing a full, more than a full-time job. You had young kids at home. You took time away from your family, and it did wind up being a fix. Are you over it? I am. I Believe it or not, I mean, I've, I've seen enough in business that this, not this level or this visibility, but stuff like this goes on. I sort of understand in the backdrop how it happens. Um, and... I'm, you know, it was, it was actually almost two years because we actually started work prior to being mm-hmm. tasked as a task force. Um, and you learn a lot. And these experiences are great for learning. Um, and I did get to meet with I mean, the people that worked on this and people use me and Bob as like, oh, we did everything. I mean, I could go from Greg Carey at Goldman Sachs to Doug Thornton at SMG to Dan Barrett at Barrett Sports Group to um, various owners and, and some po- folks in the league who were very helpful. Um just Eli Hoisington and HOK and the whole team there. Um, Jim Woodcock was incredible, who also didn't frankly get paid uh, for the work he did um, and, and was someone I talked to every day. Jeff Rainford, I mean, I could go on and on with people who, who leaned into this either voluntarily or even if they were paid and not from St. Louis, they were emotionally engaged. I mean, people from New York, like 
guys from Goldman that would be on the phone with us at 10 at night, you know, when they didn't have to be. Um, this, I, I saw some of the best of people in this process, even though I know we all kind of saw some of the worst in people as well. Dave Peacock, thanks for what you do and have done for St. Louis. We really appreciate it and always appreciate your friendship and your time this morning. You guys are the best. I appreciate it. Take care. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. That is Dave Peacock from the St. Louis Stadium Task Force. Did everything right. Did everything that was asked and the fix was in. And so we lost our franchise. It's almost six years ago. But now with this, whether we like it or not, we have closure. We aren't going any further with this situation, Michelle. And I love Dave's perspective with the last question that you just asked him, that he really did see the best in people. We have a negative outcome, and as sports fans, we're always going to feel bitter towards this process. But Dave's right. Think about how many people were galvanized to do something for St. Louis during this process and to come together to try to make this happen. Even though it was a fruitless endeavor, it really did bring people together to try to get this done. Coming up, we want to hear from you. You can use the Rhino Shield mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. You can also send us a text via the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. What's your reaction to what Dave had to say? And most importantly, uh, have you reached closure? Now that we have official closure and nothing else is going to happen, do you have closure with the Rams leaving and the lawsuit being complete? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. We do appreciate you weighing in on our interview with Dave Peacock. It's 8 o'clock, your time check, brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, a couple of takeaways from me. First of all, we see again the extraordinary power that Jerry Jones wields in the NFL. No surprise, but you had six old-school owners that have been around for a long time in Art Rooney, uh, John Mara, Robert Kraft, Jerry Richardson, Clark Hunt and Bob McNair, and those guys were just steamrolled by Jerry Jones in that meeting on January 12th of uh, 2016. I also thought it was interesting that Dave said that despite his silence, he gave Stan Kroenke credit for being open throughout the process because his actions certainly gave the indication that he he wanted to move the team. And then the other thing that we see is there is so much dysfunction among NFL owners. Even now, the the lack of attention that they pay to what's going on in their own league for entities that are worth billions of dollars, it's astounding to me that these guys, Jerry Jones admitted that he had never read the relocation guidelines, that these people wouldn't have an idea. Even though the league office has talked about an actionable stadium plan with St. Louis and many of those guys encouraged St. Louis. We had an actionable stadium plan with land, with financing, with everything that the league had asked for, but the owners even though they were sent books, they didn't pay attention to it. They probably had someone on payroll that was supposed to read it and download them on it. Mm -hmm. So I'm not surprised at all that they didn't read it. I don't expect them to. I expect them to show up and to have some cocktails and to rub elbows with their peers, people that have billions of dollars that are in this powerful room, and figure out a way to make the situation work for them. 
because that's what has happened. And any any speed bump or roadblock that the NFL has ever encountered, whether it be bad PR or concussions or, or this relocation process with St. Louis, all they do is try to throw money at it or try to push it under the rug. So why would I expect them to be prepped on something when the outcome is likely going to be the same every time? It's them getting what they want. But the thing was, that morning, the veteran owners of the league voted 5-1 in favor of the Carson Project, as Dave said. It, it's one guy. That's the thing that surprises me is that rather than listening to people that have been around forever and helped the league make a lot of money, they listened to uh, snake oil, sa- oil salesmen that wound up costing them $790 million. But at the end of the day, these are all people that are motivated by one thing, money and greed. And when Jerry Jones appeals to that and says, this is someone who is going to bring the NFL back to Los Angeles and he's going to pay for it. And mm-hmm. this is the amount of money that's going to be in your pocket. And Stan's going to handle all the rest. It's not even a headache for you. And this is the check you're going to get. He found a way to appeal to their true nature, which is greedy business owners. And it doesn't matter what's best for St. Louis or the sports fans that help this engine run or the vitality of the league as a whole. Mm -hmm. They want the immediate windfall financially, and that's what they got. I I got a text from a friend last night that is an executive in the league, and he pointed out, let me get back to this text. He said uh, he talked about the $6 billion difference between being in St. Louis and being in L.A. And basically said that now in talking to other people around the league, that Stan Kroenke is the laughingstock of the league because of the way this all went down. That's interesting. But he still got what he wanted. Yes, he has to write a big check. And yes, the stadium ended up costing way more than he mm-hmm. anticipated. But he won. St. Louis is going away. The Rams are in L.A. He built his palace. And I wonder how history is going to reflect on him. Of course, in St. Louis, he's always going to be the ultimate villain. Mm -hmm. But when he dies, let's say 10 years after he dies, how is he going to be remembered? He's probably the first line of that will probably be he brought football back to Los Angeles. Right. Another point to be made, by the way, is that the league is apparently pretty strident about enforcing this indemnification that he signed. They want him to pay every penny of that $790 million. As he should. Yeah. Text your reaction, and we do appreciate your uh, texts to the Air Comfort Service text line. And we'll take some Rhino Shield mic drops as the show unfolds today, too. From the 314, I'm definitely disappointed with the settlement. Stan and the NFL publicly embarrassed our city, basically calling St. Louis a dump in a place no sports teams want to be. They had our fans crying and almost begging them not to take our team away, and they still did it. Those lawyers shouldn't have settled for that money. No way, no how. It was stupid. And I'm not sure who actually encouraged a settlement because... In a mediation process, there has to be a representative of the plaintiffs in there, along with the attorneys. And I'm wondering, and Ben Fred touched on this in his piece at stltoday.com, I'm wondering if perhaps a member of the plaintiff team that wasn't an attorney was smitten with the $790 million offer, and maybe the attorneys weren't as enthusiastic as the the plaintiffs the city county rsa were interesting hmm 
This one from the 636. Hell no, I didn't receive closure. The only ones who received closure are the lawyers and the politicians. Nothing but a new team and a completely funded stadium would have given me closure. The losers here are still the former passionate Rams fans. Yeah, and all due respect, you would have never received closure because we were never going to get a team. Never. That wasn't going to happen. That no. was that once that once the Rams were gone, once Jerry Jones uh, railroaded the Rams out of town, we were never going to have another team here. Which is why I was kind of surprised that that report got spread so thoroughly throughout the national media that that could be part of the settlement because you're very plugged into this, Randy, and everything you were hearing boots on the ground here in St. Louis was, no, that's not going to happen. There's no appetite on the part of the league and no appetite on the part of St. Louis. Those two were not coming together. No. No. From the 812, I reached closure with the Rams in the NFL years ago and moved on to college football. Even if Kroenke was forced to stay here, supporting an owner that didn't want to be here was not something that I was going to do. I believe this settlement is a win for St. Louis, pending on how the money is used. And Mr. Peacock confirmed that for me this morning. I hope that there is a good way for the money to be spent. I have no idea how the money should be spent. I can confirm that there has never been anybody, perhaps there has been one person, text us if you are that person, who knows of a politician that made you say, hey, that was a great way to spend my tax dollars. I don't believe that happens on a general basis, that politicians get kudos from the public because of the way they spend the tax dollars. I'm going to be honest here. I have no idea how my tax dollars are spent. I know that they build roads and stuff. but Roads and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that they do government things. But to give you an idea that I have any idea how a government budget works, nah, I have no clue. I, I tweeted this when all of this went down, Randy. Will the average sports fan in St. Louis be positively impacted by the money from this settlement? Because... It seems like the sports fan is getting lost in all of this again. Yes, it's a win for the city. Yes, it's a win, of course, for the lawyers who are representing St. Louis in this. But the sports fans are the people that are asked to pour their money into this team, to pour their time and their energy into this team. And the team was ripped from them. And they deserve something from this. They deserve something that they can tangibly say, I feel good or at least feel some closure from this outcome. And I think... A team, even though it wasn't realistic, would have been on that list. I also think having this go to trial and them getting all of this aired out and the headlines happening when Stan was hosting the Super Bowl at the palace that Mm -hmm. he built as a result of all of this would have have been satisfying for the sports fan here in St. Louis. And I just I don't know if that void is ever going to be filled. That being said, how would you feel? If this money, at least from the city's perspective, was directed toward debt service on enterprise center renovations and infrastructure for the soccer stadium. I think that that would be a very good allocation of those funds because, as Dave Peacock said, that's putting the money into something that's going to generate revenue downtown and that is going to ge- generate revenue and provide a better experience for the sports fan in that's St. Louis. That's why I asked the question. I, I'm on that page 100%. Now, might we... we have already seen what the money is spent on yes but paying off some of those debts would be a good thing whenever you can pay off debts it's a good thing i also wonder how much st louis city sc is going to be 
a big healing factor in all of this because think about what the Battle Hawks did in their short mm-hmm. time here in St. Louis. It gave us something new and fresh to pour our energy into. Yes, of course, we're always going to love the Cardinals and the Blues, but when the Battle Hawks came here, it gave the football fan in St. Louis an outlet to show their passion again and to get really excited for a game day. And yes, the the Rams fan in St. Louis might not be a soccer fan, but I, I think they might give it a try because it's something uniquely St. Louis, just like the Battlehawks that was built from the ground up with the St. Louis sports fan in mind. And I think once fans go to a game there and they get to really throw themselves into that experience, it might help the closure process just a little bit. But I think this is, this one is going to sting forever for some people. And I don't know how viable it is to keep the dome as it presently is constructed because retrofitting it for more convention space from a financial perspective does make more sense but because the battle hawks are apparently coming back in 2023 i would like to still have that dome available for football games i think that that would be a good thing you want one more text one more text from the 636 i found closure when the blues got the winter classic and st louis got an mls franchise if the battle hawks return in 2023 that'll be the icing on the cake i feel since the rams left st louis has gained a lot more we have that's an absolute and a lot of that money that dave peacock talked about that is going into soccer and hockey now would not have been available because the rams were siphoning off those dollars and like he said, because of the size of our community, we probably aren't, with our corporate level, we, we aren't a community that can support for franchises at the moment. And we will always think about the greatest show on turf because that was mm-hmm. one of the best experiences that any of us have ever had as sports fans in St. Louis. But if we actually examine what our Rams experience was like, for, the, for a huge portion of their time here in St. Louis, it was miserable. It was terrible football. It was a team that was intentionally trying to lose with an owner that did not want to be here. It, it was a toxic relationship. It was. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, the Blues back in action tomorrow night against the Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. Chris Kerber will join us to talk about that game and where the Blues are right now next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is Character and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. The Blues booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Boardwalk has three convenient locations, Manchester, Crestwood, or St. Peter. Or visit online at boardwalkhardwood.com. Columbus Blue Jackets 6-3. Blues taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning tomorrow night and then Thursday night as well. And the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joins us as he does every Monday morning here on Carriker and Smallman. Good morning, Kerbs. How you doing? Morning, Randy and Michelle. Doing great. How are you guys? Doing well. And I asked Panger this last week, and I want to get your read. Do you feel like you have an idea of what you're going to see when you start a broadcast every night of the Blues? You know, it's funny you said that. I was was thinking about that this morning. And the reality of it is, is right now, I don't. Um, I know that this is a good Blues team. I know that this is a deep Blues team, especially when when fully healthy. 
I know that it's a team where, you know, I think Oscar Sundquist is is still getting his skates and, and things underneath him from, from the types of injuries that he had. I, 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 there's still some growth of players coming. But what we're going to see on a nightly basis has been somewhat inconsistent. And, and, and finding that consistency is going to be the key to the success of this team. And if they find it, honestly, I, I think they can compete with any team in the league and challenge for a Stanley Cup. I really believe they're that deep. And, and I think they can not only win the, win the Central Division, I think if they can find that, consistently, uh, that, that effort consistently enough, uh, they'll challenge for the top spot in the West. And I think the West is kind of wide open there. So, but, but to your point, what we're going to see tomorrow night I don't know, to be honest with you. I know what's capable. I just don't know which one's going to be there. Well, Curbs, it seems like one consistent factor, especially recently, is that Pavel Buchnevich is going to contribute to this team's success. Well, look, that, that, that was just a spectacular trade. And, and, you know, he became a bit of a cap casualty of, of the New York Rangers, and the Blues were able to, to jump in and, and take a part of that. And, you know, his first few games back, maybe the first four or five games back after that suspension were a little bit slow. But, boy, once it started to click again, his skating, we, we've seen him be able to rip a couple of just great wrist shots. Of the chemistry he's starting to connect with, uh, along with uh, Tarasenko and Robert Thomas, is really good, too, that they're finding each other on the ice. And it's exciting. And that's that. look, the Blues, you knew that when the Blues lost Jaden Schwartz, and even prior to that, there was a hole in left wing that needed to be filled. It wasn't filled by Sammy Blay. It wasn't filled by Zach Sanford. They both had ample opportunity to take it and run with it and didn't do it. They went out and they got Brandon Sod and Pavlovich Nevich. They filled that hole and, and, in a big way. And, and Pavlovich Nevich, I think, is, uh, is really starting to get comfortable with his new teammates and, and the role that he's being asked to play. Curbs, I'm wondering, as I watch this team play, if Ville Husso is starting to earn a few more starts? That's a great question, Randy. And I think I think you have to say, yes, he has. But understand that Jordan Bennington is the starting goaltender for this team. He's the number one goaltender. And, and Craig Berube is going to play him as such. Look, on a whole, the team itself has given up three goals way too many times. It's 14 times in 21 games. Non-shootout, by the way. I mean, there's actually a 15th one in there, but, you know, I don't count the, the, the shootout added goal as a, as a team giving that up. And, and Randy, that, that to me is probably one of the big inherent problems of the season so far is too many goals are going in. I, I think that they're not winning games 3-2, to two, you know, or 2-1 to one enough, that they're, or, or even 4-2 to two, or 3-1 to one, or 5-1, to one, whatever it may be. It, they're having to score four goals to win games 4-3 far too often, and that is not a recipe for success in the National Hockey League, not unless you've got a different offensive team than the Blues have. And and, and by the way, I mean, the Blues right now have three players over 20 points. Mm -hmm. Three players over 20 points in 21 games. This is not a shabby offensive team. It's just not a team that you're looking at saying, hey, they're going to score four goals a night. They've got to cut down on the goals against. Some of that is, is the save department from the goaltender. A lot of it is the defensive play in front of the goaltender. But Billy Huso has done a really, really good job when he has gone in there of keeping games close and making key saves when he's needed to make them. Curbs, with Clem Costin heading to injured reserve, the Blues have recalled Logan Brown from the Springfield Thunderbirds. What can we expect from the St. Louisan? Yeah, I don't know on that one, Michelle. And here's why. 
my my take on this is is I, I'll go back to years when I was actually in the American Hockey League and watching players get called up and National Hockey League teams calling up top offensive players because they're performing well, but then they're played in a different role here, and that's what we'll, we'll see in practice today. We'll, we'll see where he gets used and how he's going to get used. There's two things here. One. He'd, he'd scored 17 points in 19 games down there in the American Hockey League. He was playing really well offensively. Finding that offensive confidence, I think, is really, really critical for him after the way things had gone with the Ottawa Senators. Now, the question is, though, while you can be that player in the American Hockey League, what really type of player are you going to be in the National Hockey League? I don't know that the St. Louis Blues see him yet. It could be wrong here. We'll find out. I don't know if they see him yet in a top-six role. And if they don't, well, then how do you have to adjust your game to play in a bottom six role to be successful in the National Hockey League? And if you're Logan Brown, that's something he has to figure out. So it's, there's, it's kind of a fork here a little bit, several prongs to it. One is, one is how is the team going to use him? Two, can, can Logan adjust to the role that he's going to be expected to play and play that role? And then how does that all mesh is the third part there. So we'll have to wait and see. He's got offensive ability. That's what made him a, a high first-round draft pick. He definitely has uh, NHL caliber hands and the ability to stick handle for a big man. His skating is one of the things that tends to, to hold him up. But when you're putting the pucks on tapes, the speed of the puck is better than skating speed and that, and it makes the team look fast. We'll have to see how that one plays out. He's earned it. Now he's got to figure out what it takes to be successful with this team in the NHL. Curbs, you guys were talking on the broadcast the other day about how weird the schedule is. Colorado is the hottest team in the Central Division now. They're 7-2-1 in their last 10, and they've played three fewer games than the Blues. They're only two games behind. How, how is it that these schedules can, can be the way they are? It's actually kind of insane, especially since you don't have cancellations from COVID, right? Yeah. I mean, at, at, so – Go back, I think, three or four days ago, you know, and you're looking at a situation where Colorado had had 15 days off already in the month of November. The Blues have 15 days off total in the month of November. How you're looking at a schedule and you're sitting there saying, and and especially, Randy, since the St. Louis Blues didn't play until Saturday and some NHL teams had started on Tuesday or Wednesday to open up the season, right? You're sitting there going, how, how are they doing this where Colorado has played that many fewer games? And it's not the first time. This is a, basically, oh, it, COVID year didn't happen last year. The year before is the same exact situation. You know, and then Colorado just kind of has to make up those games. Here's where Colorado is going to make up the games. From the beginning of December until the middle of January, their only stretch of a few days without a game is going to be the Christmas break. So they're about to go through what the Blues and some of these other teams have gone through. I'm not exactly sure, and I know scheduling matrices are extraordinarily difficult, so much more difficult in the NHL and the NBA than the other sports because of the multi-use buildings and multi-team buildings that they've got to get figured out, and then these things are used for concerts too. But it seems a little crazy to me that Colorado has been playing that many few games when so many other teams have been playing more that I'm not exactly sure why, but it's messed up. How do you like playing back-to-backs against Tampa Bay? The, t- the two times we'll see them this year are going to be this week. Yeah, you know what? And there are some players, so if you remember last year in the COVID season when, like, L.A. would come into town like they did here and they played two games, players really liked that. They called, You know, it was something that Jonathan Taves had been asking for for a long time and, and other players, and they called it, kind of nicknamed it the Taves rule Players really liked it. Some players are wondering why in the world that hasn't continued. They thought it was going to. 
I kind of like the – I've always liked home and homes. You know, where you play in one building, then you go and play in another, you know, just in case some bad blood. Although, unless it's – I mean, unless it's Brendan Lemieux and Brady Kachuk, I'm not <laughs> sure bad blood exists anymore. Well, well actually, well, it could be with Drew Doughty and Matthew Kachuk. So, um, it, I really think the National Hockey League needs to do – make the Kachuk boys so much more a face of this league yep. with their fire in their belly. But the uh, – I, I like it. The challenge this week, Randy – is the Blues' next four games are against the two Florida teams. So it's the home-and-home against Tampa, followed by the home-and-home against Florida. right? And these are two of the top teams in the league. So you're going to get a full dose. You're going to get them done. You're going to get them out of the way and and move forward with it. But it's going to be some fantastic, tough, big boy hockey this week, without a doubt. And finally, for those that didn't read the story or see what happened, Brendan, Brendan Lemieux of the Kings bit Brady Kachuk on the hand, and after the game, Brady Kachuk said, kids don't even do that anymore. Babies do that. I don't even know what he was thinking. He's just a complete brickhead. He's got nothing up there. Bad guy, bad player, but what a joke he is. I think brickhead is a dramatically underused descriptive term for hockey players at times. I think it is as well. And and Brady, who earned the captaincy for the Ottawa Senators, I saw something last night that I'm still laughing my rear end off. The entire quote sequence that Brady Kachuk did, somebody got Gilbert Gottfried to read it on Cameo, (laughs) and it is outstanding. Like, it is absolutely (laughs) one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Is and Gilbert Gottfried saying uh, to K. Chuck, like I mean, it it is funny as all get out. So if fans haven't seen it, go on to Twitter and and check that one out. But you know what? Uh, I love I lo- just love the style of play. I mean, Keith Kachuk and uh, these two guys just are, are right out of their dad's mold, and they mm-hmm. they're not afraid to speak their mind. They know the role they play. They know they carry clout not only from a team leadership standpoint financial standpoint with the teams whatever it may be but they back it up on the ice and 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 they're not afraid of anything and i know look i know Connor mcdavid you know and and nathan mckinnon are the young bright stars you know from an offensive standpoint in the national hockey league and of course there's still crosby ovechkin malkin and these guys but i'm telling you from a pure old school style nhl way of looking at the league uh, there's no two better guys in the National Hockey League than Brady and Matthew, and that's and that's that's well beyond the bias that we have because we we mm-hmm. know these young men for a long time and we know the family so well. But I love what they bring to the league, and I think the league should put them front and centers a lot more than they already are. It's a good idea. Curbs, always good to hear your voice. We will hear you tomorrow night. Blues and Lightning pregame at six here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. Have a great week. We'll be tuned in. All right, guys, have an awesome start to the week, you two. See you later. That is Chris Kerber, voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to get the week started with a fight here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue King of Morning Drive, please welcome Randy Carricker.
Kara Moment on this Monday morning here on 101 ESPN. It's 837. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let's welcome in Randy's challenger to kick off the week. Ben is with us. What's up, Ben? How was your Thanksgiving? Hey, it was really good. I had like three of them with all the family. Three of them. Wow. Three in one day? No, over about two weeks. It got complicated. <laughs> I'm sure. By the third one, are you sick of eating Thanksgiving food, or are you just raring to go? I, by the last one, I ate so much shrimp cocktail, I barely touched the turkey. That turkey. You know what? That is such a rookie mistake, and I did the exact same thing. We, you know, Italians bring out a charcuterie board the size of the table. It's just a light snack before appetizers, and I definitely OD'd on some goat cheese and crackers. So, Ben, we're in the same boat here. All right. I'm glad we glad we did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck to you versus Randy today. Thank you. All right, Ben. Question number one. What three-time Cy Young Award winner put up the lowest ERA of his career this season? Was it Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, or Zach Greinke? Can you say the question one more time? Absolutely. What three-time Cy Young Award winner put up the lowest ERA of his career this season? Was it Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, or Zach Greinke? Um, go Scherzer. All right, Ben. Question number two. Former Rams head coach Mike Martz took a medical leave after five games in 2005. Who took over the rest of the season as interim head coach for the Rams? Was it Scott Linehan, Joe Vitt, or Jim Haslett? Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> absolute blind guess. Uh, okay. A. A? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to go A. I, I have no idea. Okay, that was Scott Linehan. That is your answer. Yes, yes. Scott Linehan. All right. Question number three for Ben. Alexander Ovechkin has the most points amongst Russia-born players in NHL history. Who ranks second? Is it Pavel Datsuk, Pavel Bure, or Sergei Fedorov? Uh, I'm going to go... Hasn't Datsuk played for like 300 years? Um, I'm going to go Datsuk. All right, last question. Prior to his career as a major league manager, Tony Larusa earned a de- earned a degree in what field? Law, electrical engineering, <laughs> or mathematics? Man, I do not know my Tony Larusa trivia. Uh, I'm going to go law. Okay. Checking our score here before we bring in Randy. He's waiting patiently outside. Oh, he's coming in. Oh, no. Pulling the curtain back. Randy forgot his little sound machine. Little sound machine. Well, it's actually it's very big, but the sounders that Randy plays when he wins the fight, he forgot the sound machine, so he's got it under his arm, and he's getting it all set up here. That, just in case, Ben, just in case. I was going to say, that shows how, how yeah. confident he is. Randy, as you get set up and plug in the machine, um, uh, I'll let you get your headphones in there. Say good morning to Ben. Ben, good morning. How are you doing? Uh, good morning, Randy. I'm doing all right. How about you? I'm doing great. I hope your Thanksgiving was good. It was, it was great. Uh, Michelle and I were talking. We each had a bunch of them and ate too, much, uh, ate too many appetizers. Yeah, you can never go wrong eating uh, too many appetizers on Thanksgiving. That's a good thing. It's hard, though. So as I was telling Ben, you know, in an Italian household, you bring out a massive charcuterie board. Mm-hmm. It's just a light snack before appetizers. So by the time you get through appetizers, you have 
hardly any room left for the actual meal, which is the, the star of the show. Not a bad thing. And then you have to find room for dessert. It's hard. It's, it's all about pacing people. Yeah, that's the key. Yeah, you don't want to uh, peak too soon, as it were. Randy, are you ready to go? I'm ready. Question number one. What three-time Cy Young Award winner put up the lowest ERA of his career in this season? Three-time Cy Young Award winner, lowest career ERA. So it wasn't Kershaw, and it may have been Scherzer. Uh, what other three-time Cy Young Award winners do we have going here? Um, I guess I'll do the lifeline. I'm, I'm leaving somebody out, clearly. Is it Clayton Kershaw? Is it Max Scherzer? Or is it Zach Greinke? I will go with uh, Max Scherzer. All right, Randy. Former Rams head coach Mike Martz took a medical leave after five games in 2005. Mm-hmm. Who took over the rest of the season as interim head coach for the Rams? That would have been, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Joe Vitt. Joe Vitt. Question number three. Alexander Ovechkin has the most points amongst Russia-born players in the NH- in NHL history. Excuse me. Who ranks second? Um, boy, let's see. You have you have the Russian guys, or the Russian guys, the uh, Red Wings guys. You have Fedorov, Datsuk, um, Kovalchuk. I don't think this is all time or active. All, all time. time. I think I'll go with Datsuk. All right, Randy. Prior to his career as a major league manager, Tony Larusa earned a degree in which field? He earned a degree as a lawyer. Is it Ben or is it Randy? Is Randy rusty after a long Thanksgiving break? Andrew, ring the bell. Still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions, providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. I'm sorry, Ben, it was close, but Randy got the last one correct, and he takes home the victory. He beat you three to two. Three to two. So it was Max Scherzer who put up the lowest ERA of his career in this season, of course, three time Cy Young Award winner. When Mike Martz took a medical leave after five games in 2005, it was Joe Vitt who took over for the rest of the season as the interim head coach for the Rams. Ovi has the most points among Russian-born players in NHL history. Sergei Fedorov is number two on that list. Hmm. And Tony La Russa earned a degree in law prior to becoming a major league baseball manager. Tony La Russa would be an incredible lawyer. Yeah, he would, he'd be tough. He would. I wouldn't want to look across the courtroom. That's right. I've seen him argue with umpires. No way. Well, Ben, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for playing, and we hope you have a great start to your week. Thank you. Can I do a shout-out super quick? Sure. Go for it. This is a a goodbye to my friend Jerry. He said if I lost, he was disowning me, and we've been friends for almost 25 years. Wow. What a good run. That was a good run for you and Jerry. It was a great run, so I'll miss him. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Jerry. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Good to have you with us. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Randy, 
you're you're crushing dreams. You're ruining friendships here. I, I feel bad about it. Is it, it taking just... a serious turn? Just win, baby. Yeah, okay. You feel so badly. You're out of order. You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. Come on. Don't worry about it, Ben. <laughs> so, all right. Maybe Jerry oh, can a... find forgiveness in his heart. I hope so. I mm-hmm. hope so. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, Michelle and Randy, we've got Take It or Leave It here on Character and Smallman. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Randy, and you get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, and Andrew will have your text for us. Michelle, take it or leave it. Odell Beckham Jr.'s dad is putting together a tape to put on Instagram right now. I'm going to take that. I'm sure he already has it ready to go. He's just waiting for the perfect time to release it. I would think so. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, Randy, I don't know if you saw this, but Kareem Hunt's dad took to Facebook last night to criticize Baker Mayfield. (laughs) This was after the Browns 16-10 loss to the Ravens. Um, He said, I'm getting people on my Facebook saying I'm being like OBJ's daddy and I'm not stating facts on football. What we see is he's, referring to Baker Mayfield, limping. He's scared to throw the ball. They know he's hurt. They're going to keep listening. But if people don't like what I'm saying, unfriend me. Take it or leave it. This has become kind of a sport within the sport as people's dads criticizing Baker Mayfield on social media. I'll take it. Yeah, and it's fun. It's This is a trend. Mm-hmm. I wonder if uh, Baker's dad will respond in kind. If it's, well, his wife has on Instagram, mm-hmm. whether yeah. if it's his wife or people's dads, a lot of members of the Browns uh, players' families expressing their feelings <laughs> on social media. Maybe they need to get the families off of social media there. Might not be a bad idea. Yeah. All right, your text 65780. Andrew, what do you got for us? All right, take it or leave it from the 314. Ben and Jerry, they make up over a couple of pints. Perhaps Cherry Garcia. I'll take it. I'll take that. Yeah, our fighter half, was half named baked. Ben. <laughs> um, our fighter's name was Ben, and he said his friend Jerry was going to disown him because mm-hmm. he lost the fight. And as soon as we got to commercial break, I was like, Ben and Jerry? <laughs> Did we just get punked? <laughs> That's funny. All right, from the 636, take it or leave it. If the Rams lose to the Jaguars next week, they cut Von Miller. I'm going to leave that. He's not. Uh, he, he wouldn't be the reason that they lost the game. I, I can't imagine that that would happen. Yeah, I can't imagine that would happen either. He's a star. But they are probably going to have to do something to shake things up if they lose again. Yes. I don't know if that's the move, but I would imagine if they lose again, what's that, five in a row then? Uh, four in a row. Four in a row. Yeah. So four in a row, I mean, they would probably be reaching the desperation point. But Michelle, they can fix everything in the draft. Oh. oh, wait. Hmm. That stinks. <laughs> uh, from the 636, take it or leave it. If the Cardinals, or uh, take it or leave it, the Cardinals will sign either Seeger, Correa, or Story. Leave it. 
I'm going to take that. I don't think Trevor Story is off the board just yet. Hmm. I could be wrong, but until until he goes somewhere else, I'm going to wonder about that Nolan Arenado connection. Correa to the Tigers. Seager back to the Doyers or to the Yankees. And Story to either the leftover team, uh, not to the Dodgers, but or the Rangers. Story to the Rangers to pair with Simeon on, on the, their middle infield. Hmm. Uh, take it or leave it. Let me dream, Randy. Come on. Oh. Okay. <laughs> you got Paul DeYoung. And Edmundo Sosa. And Edmundo Sosa, yeah. yeah. Okay. And Delvin Perez on the way. Okay, dream. <laughs> Thanks. From the 314, take it or leave it. Cardinals will match the Mets offer for Scherzer, and Cohen will take the Twitter once again. Oh, I would love it. I would love to see that happen, but I don't think it's going to Randy just laughed. <laughs> he just laughed at that. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to leave that. But that would be awesome. It would be fantastic. If the Cardinals swooped in last minute and matched the offer and secured Max Scherzer, yeah. he, he would have to have his devices taken away from him. <laughs> the tweets that would be in his drafts, I can't even imagine. Wouldn't that be funny? That would be great. I would love it. All right, from the 618, take it or leave it. Illinois gets to a bowl game next year. I'm going to take that for sure. Impressive first season for Coach Brett Bielma. They beat two ranked opponents on the road. Could have beat Iowa, probably should have beaten Iowa in that game. Closed out with Northwestern, an impressive performance for Illinois. I am very excited to see what Coach Bielma is going to build there. So I'm going to go ahead and take that. ILL. I and I. I'm going to take it too. All right. Take it or leave it. The Seahawks will win tonight by five points or less. I'm going to leave that. Where That game is where? Is it in Seattle? Or is it in I believe the it's in team? the football team. It's at in the, the fo- football team. It is football at team. Washington. <laughs> it is at the football team. <laughs> I'm going to take uh, the football team to win that one. Is it because oh, of team. Taylor Heineke? Yes, it is. Thank you, Andrew. Absolutely. Appreciate it. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line of 65780. Next up, Major League Baseball's free agency frenzy is getting crazy. And Marcus Simeon goes to the Rangers. So what does his price tag mean for everybody else that's after a shortstop? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Here for St. Louis. Here to help you achieve more with your money. Nine o'clock in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. According to John Heyman of MLB Network, the Mets are in wait-and-see mode. They're comfortable with all of the medical surrounding Max Scherzer. They have apparently offered him a contract for either three or four years and between 40 and $45 million a year. And now they're just waiting on him. And, Michelle, you have to believe that he's and Boris are going back to the Dodgers and or, or the Giants or the Angels and saying, will you match this? Because our guy really wants to be on the West Coast, but he wants to make the most money too. 
Using it as leverage. Yes. Maybe big playing time. the Mets a little bit. Which would be really aggravating for Steve Cohen. Yeah, I can't imagine that he would want to uh, lose out on another pitcher. Come in second place publicly again. That probably wouldn't um, be too great for him. But I was reading, Randy, uh, Joel Sherman had an interesting piece last night in the New York Post about this, that Steve Cohen is trying to follow the Dodgers model. He's trying to replicate the Mets roster and build the Mets as the Dodgers were built. And so Mm -hmm. acquiring someone like Max Scherzer certainly fits that mold. But the difference is, is that I don't, even though it's the number one market in the country and he's got all the money in the world to spend, I don't know if playing for the Mets is as desirable as playing for the Dodgers is. No, and (laughs) the Dodgers did a couple of things. Number one, they went out and found a guy like Justin Turner and a guy like Max Muncy that were basically on the scrap heap of developed Will Smith and Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller and Cody Bellinger and Kenley Jansen. Who do the Mets have that they've developed? Now, you've got to think long term. He's only on the team for a year. Sure. But This kind of looks like what the Dodgers did at the beginning of their ownership when they tried to buy a contender. But it's more difficult now because that luxury tax can be really pesky. And in reading about the Mets farm system, it doesn't seem like it's very deep and that they're going to have any players that are going to translate to the major league roster right now. Which, again, if you're Max Scherzer, what is really other than other than the market and other than the check you're going to get that appealing about that situation? There really isn't. And. The Dodgers went out and got Andrew Friedman, who had a history of developing good players in the Rays organization. The Mets hired Billy Epler, who was like their 12th, 13th, 14th choice. Friendly enough guy, but he came from Anaheim, where their system was absolutely abysmal. They never developed anybody. All they did was waste money in Anaheim. So if you want Epler to do that again, he can. And everything that we've heard about Max Scherzer from a personal level is that he and his family wanted to remain on the West Coast. So if he and his agent, Scott Boris, are using this as leverage and they get what they want out of the Dodgers, then well done. But I would it just does not feel right that Max Scherzer at this stage in his career would go to the Mets. Doesn't make sense. But I could see Scott Boris leading him to the Mets. Meanwhile, the Rangers have started to rebuild with veterans now. They have signed Marcus Simeon to a seven-year deal for $175 million. And John Gray, the former right-hander, well, he's still a right-hander, former <laughs> Rockies right-hander, goes to Texas for four years and $56 million. The Simeon deal, he was supposed to be the bargain of the middle infield class. And seven years, $175 million, leads me to believe, Michelle, that... Seeger and Correa are going to be well over $200 million. And I wonder if Trevor's story, because Story's had a good year. Marcus Simeon's only had one good year. I shouldn't say that. He, he's had one great year. He had, some, he had a down year in 2020 and had some really good years before that. I'm saying that Trevor Story has had a better career than Simeon. I wonder what Trevor Story will sign for. Well, I think that if we're ranking these guys, obviously Seager and Correa are going to get more and that I would imagine most teams are going to wait and see what happens with those guys or at least they're going to set the market differently, which is why I keep wondering about Trevor Story. If he's looking at this as an opportunity for him to go somewhere for a year, reestablish the market and emerge as the top guy, after a year and command more money. Maybe I don't know what his desire is. Is it to go somewhere where you can win? Is it to get the most money out of your next deal as possible? Whatever his motivating factor is, is going to determine a lot. But I would think for him, just getting out of Colorado should be high up on that list. And if I'm his agent, 
I'm saying, okay, I don't mind the fact that you want to reestablish the market, but let's look at this logically. The Yankees will have their shortstop signed. The Red Sox will have their shortstop signed. The Blue Jays have a shortstop. The Tigers will have their shortstop signed. The the guy you're going to be comp- competing against, Trey Turner, next year because he's also a free agent. So who are the Dodgers going to want more? Is it because the, the Angels have a young shortstop that they like? The Rangers are going to be set. Maybe Houston, but Houston will probably get a guy this year. Mm-hmm. My recommendation to Trevor Story would be if you can get a four-year deal this year, you take it because you don't want to be competing for dollars against Trey Turner next offseason. But Randy, that doesn't work with my narrative of getting him to St. Louis. It just doesn't fit. Well, let's get him for four <laughs> years and 80 million. That would uh, be palatable for me. I would do that. I would definitely do that. Okay. Other moves that have been made, and by the way, free agent pitchers, starting pitchers, with the system, because it is, as we know, broken, and they're yeah. going to shut the game down on Wednesday night, Michelle. Thankfully, right? Thankfully, because the system is broke. The system has given Kevin Gossman five years and $110 million with the Blue Jays. Obviously, the Cardinals have their deal with uh, Stephen Matz, who looks like a bargain now at 44 over 4, doesn't looks he? Looks like a very smart move by the Cardinals. The Twins have re-signed the oft-injured Byron Buxton to a seven-year deal worth $100 million. Buxton has never played more than 93 games in a season. Uh, you've got Corey Kluber getting $8 million. The oft-injured Corey Kluber yes. goes to Tampa for $8 million. The Red Sox signed Michael Waka. He gets $8 bucks for a season. Shout out to him. Michael Waka. Yeah. The Marlins have signed Avisail Garcia to a four-year deal for $53 million. They're also in the hunt for a couple of other players, including Kyle Schwarber. And then you have smaller deals like Hector Neris to Houston for $17 million over two. Uh, the, the Mets had a Black Friday splurge signing Starling Marte, Eduardo Escobar, and uh, Mark Canna. So with the system as broke as it is, it is remarkable to me that all these teams are spending as much money as they are. It's been exciting this flurry of activity that's happening we need it we need a deadline like this every year it's been great seeing all well seeing all this activity and big names moving in one condensed time frame it reminds me of the nba it's been exciting but it's unfortunate that it's happening because of the the looming deadline and the likely work stoppage that baseball is going to have and it'll be interesting to see who's left on the shelves when the lockout does occur and what happens to their market value after everything is over because it looks like all the big money teams are making their moves right now so somebody is going to be sitting there and maybe it'll be robbie ray somebody will be sitting there without a chair when the league locks of the players out on wednesday do you think that their market value will dip after the lockout or that it might remain the same i would think depending on what comes out of the CBA. If teams have to spend more money on younger players, they might be less inclined to give Robbie Ray 5 and 110 like Gossman got. But if the system stays virtually the same and it turns into a buyer's market at the end, I could see Ray getting even more than Gossman. I, I would think, though, what's going to happen, though, th- is that teams are going to project that they're going to have to spend more money on young players in the next few years, and Ray won't get the long-term deal that he desires. I just wonder if once teams are given the green light, it's going to be a feeding frenzy and teams are going to be outbidding one another because they know at that point exactly what they need. You're on a short time crunch because you got to get ready for the season. So 
I don't wonder if it's going to kick prices up a little bit. And maybe it kicks them up. And by the way, Robbie Ray could very well sign. I'm just using him as an example. But maybe rather than five-year deals, you're outbidding people with one- and two-year deals. So maybe you've got a lot of those two-year $40 million Mm -hmm. beating out a two-year $36 million offer. I hate that we're talking about this. I hate that we're talking about a work stoppage in baseball. I think it's inevitable, though. Yeah, of course. It's going to happen. But I just hate that they cannot come to the table with cool heads and find a compromise so we don't have to deal with this as baseball fans. I'm amazed that the agents, or the the owners, rather, can be so tone deaf. How do you tell us that your sport is in economic peril? Bad enough so that you have to shut it down, but then you give... Marcus Simeon, 175 over 7. You give Kevin Gosman 110 over 5. How do you tell me that your sport is in economic peril when you're ready to give 37-year-old Max Scherzer $40 million a year? Wait, you mean to tell me that you're surprised that billionaires that own sports franchises are not rooted in reality? That they can't read the room and understand how their comments and their actions might come off to the average sportsman? You mean to tell me that you're shocked by that? I'm stunned, Michelle. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, I mean, think about some of the owners and their comments during the pandemic. I mean, yeah, uh, biblical losses? Come on. At least the Cubs haven't signed anybody. So they're sticking to the narrative. Biblical losses. Biblical losses. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. By the way, with a couple of days left, do you see your in Korea come off the shelves today or tomorrow? Based on the activity that we've seen, I would say yes. You'd I think would think so. I would think teams would want to strike now. Right. But teams, and especially with Korea, well, Seager too, he's had his medical things. One of the things that teams want to make sure of is that the players, they, they work physically for them. Mm-hmm. So the players, you, you kind of have to get the physical, get the deal signed today so that you can have the physical done by tomorrow morning. Yeah, it's November 29th. The clock is ticking. It sure is. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we talked to Dave Peacock earlier, and now that we've had time to sleep on it, what are your thoughts on on the uh, relocation lawsuit? We'll get your mic drops. We'll get your texts next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. One of the members of the St. Louis Stadium Task Force joined us earlier this morning to talk about his feelings about the St. Louis settlement with the NFL on the relocation lawsuit. And Michelle, he he seems copacetic. I I thought Dave seemed like he had reached closure and was happy with the results of the, the agreement. Yeah, you asked him straight up if he was able to move past this, if he had found closure, and he says that he has. And I thought he gave a really beautiful answer when he looks back on this. He said that he remembers so many different people, St. Louis and outside of St. Louis, coming together to really try to make this thing happen. He talked about people at Goldman Sachs that were up until 10 p.m. at night being on calls with them, trying to make this work, that then they didn't have to do that. And you really do think about 
so many different moving parts that had to be pulling the rope in the same direction to try to get this done for St. Louis. And even though the outcome was not favorable for the city as far as the relocation process was concerned, Dave Peacock and his team did every single thing that was asked of them. And they followed this process flawlessly and they couldn't have done it without a bunch of people coming together for what they hoped at that time would be positive for St. Louis. And he was dealing essentially with the relocation committee throughout the 2015 season. He actually spent about two years working on getting this stadium built. The land was there. The financing was there. The league and that relocation committee was there negotiating. We knew that Dave Peacock was working with the league and was not getting any response from Stan Kroenke. Michelle, throughout the course of that season, though, I would talk to Kevin Demoff and say, how's it going? And he would say, I'm meeting with Dave Peacock today. He would say, yeah, later this afternoon, I'm going to meet with Dave Peacock. And that's why I asked what Kevin Demoff's involvement with the negotiations for a new stadium were like. Uh, minimal. Um, he was engaged in the process early in through the summer, probably midsummer, um, And by kind of late summer, you know, he would, he would, we presented to the league, you know, he was there, but there was pretty minimal interaction at that point. And as I said, I mean, I, I think it was clear by, for everybody that Rams wanted to move mm-hmm. and it was really going to be in the league's court to decide that. And ultimately the committee to make a recommendation to, to the league owners. And, and so, you know, for them to, to fake that they were, you know, focused on St. Louis, I think was, was not going to be something they were going to do. And so those six owners of the relocation committee weren't faking, but and Jerry Jones was never shy about saying that he wanted to move the Rams to L.A. So now we have this agreement, and I think it's notable, Michelle, that Dave doesn't think that our future with the NFL is a strong one. He doesn't believe that we'll have another NFL team. And that seems rooted in reality, and I know it's not what fans want to hear because the football fans here in St. Louis were passionate, and they really cared about the Rams, and they showed up and supported them, even though the product was terrible and even though the owner was hanging this potential move over their head the the entire time. And I understand why fans would hope that out of this settlement an NFL team would come to fruition, but... It just with the MLS here and the limited corporate sponsorship dollars, I just don't see it happening. And there's really no appetite, I think, on either side. And we can all agree. And Dave made this point that while in the agreement, there was no admission of guilt on the part of the NFL, guilt of fraud for misleading St. Louis. When you're willing to write a seven hundred and ninety million dollar check, that's pretty much an admission that you did wrong. Yeah, you know that they've got you, so you're trying to settle. Yeah. Because if you did nothing wrong, you'd say, let's go to court. We feel great about our position. And because Dave Peacock and Bob Blitz, Bob Blitz, one of the people that had to agree to the settlement, and Dave Peacock, obviously from the outside looking in now, because they're on board with it, I, I, I still wish it would have gone to trial. But the two people that put the most into this and lost the most in this whole fiasco with the NFL were Bob Blitz and Dave Peacock because they seem to be okay with it. I have no choice but to be okay with it. Sure, I would have loved to have had it go to trial, but the fact of the matter is they have a lot more skin in the game than I do. 
You know what? I'm going to push back on that a little bit because, yes, they have invested a lot of time and the effort to keep the NFL in St. Louis. But I don't know if in totality they have invested as much in the NFL experience here as you have. You were a PSL holder, Randy. You tailgated. You followed the team. As far as time goes, a lot of people in St. Louis have invested decades Mm -hmm. in the NFL and have nothing to show for it. They've spent a lot of money and a lot of our most valuable resource, which is time, and the NFL completely disregarded them, and they have nothing to show for it. Now, one of the things that they have nothing, none of us have anything to show for, is that the fix was in and Mm -hmm. that we were not, well, once, essentially, Stan Kroenke bought the team, in August of 2010, he was approved as the owner. On that very day, he registered the Rams as a California company. And so from there, you kind of thought the fix was in. In terms of the fix is in, I think that there were people, especially as you got in the late fall for the vote of, I think it was 2015, that we could clearly feel league staff kind of working against us um, for whatever reason. And then that's one I, I don't really know, unless it's just they felt... Stan's project was just easier to approve or easier to get done. Well, it was pretty evident that the league was working against them. And how insane is that when you actually process that, that the league is giving you a set of tasks that you need to complete to keep a team in your city. You not only are completing those tasks, you're going above and beyond and giving them everything they need. And all the while that you're pouring this money and doing all of this work, they're actively working against yeah. you to, to make sure that you fail so that they can get their desired outcome. And, you know, over time, Randy, time heals all wounds. I think a, a lot of people hate the Rams a little less maybe than they did in 2015 when the vote came down. I mean, people used to really hate watch the Mm -hmm. Rams, and I think that feeling will always be there, but it does deaden over time. But when I hear stuff like that, it incites that rage all over again. It infuriates me that these people could just so callously do this to a city Mm -hmm. that just wanted to keep their team all all in the name of greed. It just really bothers me. And I would hope that this $790 million will act as a deterrent for the league so that this doesn't happen to Buffalo and doesn't happen to uh, Chicago. It's going. They're going to move to Arlington Heights. People that have invested time and money to, to build a stadium and to have a team, that they don't lose it. A couple of texts, 65780 from the 314. Does the fact that Jones and Page, and that would be Tachara Jones and Sam Page, might not be in office if the lawsuit was taken to trial and gone on a few years, play a part in a quick settlement? I would say no. Number one, those two were both elected a year ago. And number two, this trial wasn't going to take more than a month. The St. Louis side was going to take a week, 10 days on the stand. They didn't want to bore uh, a jury. And the league wasn't going to take more than three weeks because they just didn't have a strong defense. And then within 10 days after a verdict is reached, uh, an entity, the defendants, the NFL in this case, would have had to file an appeal. And then if that appeal was lost, they had 10 days to file an appeal. The biggest awards in St. Louis over the last couple of years have taken a maximum of two, two and a half years to completely go through the the appellate system. So, no, I don't think that played a role at all. I do think, though, that there's a possibility, maybe even a likelihood, that a representative of either the city or the, the county or the RSA was in the room and thought, wow, $790 million, let's take it, rather than 
going down the line a little bit more, making the NFL sweat a little bit more. And that's, I think, what the sports fan in St. Louis wanted. They really wanted them to have to go through this process because that's what the NFL did not want. They were trying to avoid this trial process at all costs. And I I just think having them have to go through this and have a judge definitively say what you did was wrong would have provided closure for a lot of people. Closure is the key thing here, right? Emotional closure, yeah. yeah. But I don't... The Rams are still going to be playing every Sunday. And I'm still going to be hating them every Sunday, even though this is done. And even if we, I would have loved to have seen this trial. I would have loved to have seen it. We were going to be front row. We were. It was going to be awesome. (laughs) But I don't know that, here we are six years later. And yesterday I was, I experienced such a glee that the Packers smoked the Rams. I don't know that that's ever going to go away. Well, that's good though. Yeah. Be- because it gives you something to pour your emotions into, whether it's hate watching them or not. That's what I think is weird about this entire process is you have such charged emotions for the teams that you cheer for. And it's like, where do those emotions go? What mm-hmm. happens to that love and that loyalty and that passion that you feel for your sports teams when they don't exist anymore? Yep. And I think that's why so many sports fans in St. Louis feel a little compartment, a little chamber of their heart is always going to be dead because where do you channel those emotions? Maybe it's hate watching the team. Yeah, new, t- new favorite team every week. But I think for a lot of people, it's just going to be empty. And that sucks. Yeah. Here's a good one from the 314. I completely understand that something is better than nothing. And I also understand that Stan will be hit hard with this settlement. However, it could have been a lot worse for both Stan and the NFL. I just don't know if the punishment was harsh enough to stop something like this from ever happening again. And I do think $790 million, a couple times that starts to add up. So I, I think it will serve as somewhat of a deterrent for the league, I think it could have been worse. I wish that some of the emails would have come mm-hmm, out. Mm-hmm. One thing I was told, Michelle, is that the Rams were making a big deal of the email from the Chargers and Raiders, allegedly, that was telling St. Louis what the roadmap for the Rams was. And the Rams were using, and the attorneys were using, that singular email as kind of a red flag that somebody was working against the Rams. I was told that there were 200 emails that were more damning than that one. 200? Yeah. That oh, that made See? the NFL look worse than that one did. And this is why we wanted the trial. We wanted all of that stuff to come to light. What's done in darkness will always come to light, and I hate that this stuff does not come to light. And as sports fans, we are trained to think about uh, the – the setting and the dramatic outcome. And that would have been the game for us. The trial mm-hmm. would have been the game. Our Super Bowl. Our Super Bowl. It's like if the Super Bowl just didn't happen. Right. Uh, one more interesting note from Dave Peacock this morning here on 101 ESPN. I do think the league probably knew of his plans in L.A. before they claimed they did and, and, and then made statements to the contrary, you know, after knowing that. And that is – a given because the NFL or the St. Louis side had the record of the phone call recorded by not physically recorded, but recorded in writing by an attorney on the call with Goodell, Kroenke, Mara, Rooney, in which Kroenke said, this is from the fall of 2013. And I, I made sure that I was right on this in speaking to somebody close to the case. Fall of 2013, it's Mara, Rooney, 
Goodell Cronkey. Cronkey says, I've got a parcel of land in Los Angeles. I'm going to buy another parcel of land, and I'm going to build a stadium on it. And Goodell says, we will respect your confidentiality in this matter. So this he had found the piece of land in August of 2013. 2013. This phone call happens in fall, October of 2013. In January of 2014, so this is October, November, December, three months later, when asked about that piece of land at a Super Bowl press conference before millions of people, Roger Goodell says, that piece of land, we haven't been informed that that's for a stadium. Stan keeps us up to date on these sorts of things. Stan buys land all the time. But he wouldn't say. He actually lied about it and said, no, this is not for a stadium as far as we know. And that's what I think the trial would have done is provide a concrete timeline of the lies and the inconsistencies by the Rams and by the NFL. And even though it's been chronicled in in different pieces, I think to have that in a court of law in one condensed moment and have national outlets covering that as this was revealed in court today – it would have been a big deal. And I think it would have been vindication for St. Louis on a, on a national stage because I don't think that this settlement is giving St. Louis the, the vindication that we mm-hmm. really wanted because they really did trash us unnecessarily right. and unfairly. They mischaracterized who we are as a city and who we are as a sports town. They tried to use what we do best as a weapon against us, and that just seems like it will still kind of exist, that it, it, right. it will not go away without that concrete timeline. That's a great point. One other quick question from the 616, and it's or 618 rather, how is it a deterrent? Franchise went from $1.5 billion value to $4.5 billion, and he had to pay $790 million. I'm not an expert, but it sounds like an open market on moving. The difference is, is that there's only one L.A. out there. There's only one market. Right now, St. Louis is the largest TV market without a franchise. So you are moving into a number two market to increase your value like Kroenke was able to do or like Spanos was able to do. If Buffalo moves, it's certainly not going to be here. So it's going to be at a market in, London. The, yeah, in the low 20s. Yeah, maybe London. but They'll use that as a carrot. Yeah, but I can't imagine that the league would go to London. It's not as desirable as L.A. No, L.A. It, is a place where players would want to play, climate, second biggest market, Hollywood. There's a, yeah. a lot to like about L.A. And logistically, it fits sure. more. So that's the one thing. I, I, I would think that if Buffalo or Chicago or Washington would want to move out of their current stadium, that it would serve as more of a deterrent. Because it's not just the $790 million, It's the hassle that they had to go through in dealing with this for four years, too. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by BMW of West St. Louis. They make a BMW attainable for anyone who wants one. It is time for 
You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, it was an unbelievable weekend for college football. There was a lot of really exciting games. As you just heard Andrew tell us, Lincoln Riley, the news that he's leaving Oklahoma to go to USC. We talked a little bit off the top about Michigan finally beating Ohio State under Jim Harbaugh. But another exciting game in the SEC. So LSU was facing number 14, Texas A&M. LSU had lost a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. They were on the brink of their first losing season since 1999. But Max Johnson said, no way. At fourth and six from the LSU 19, less than a minute 30 left. Here's what happened. See if Johnson has time. Here comes the pressure. Let's it go. It is LSU ends up winning that one, Randy, 27-24. They become bowl eligible, and, and as exciting as that win was, it was still bittersweet because it was the final game for Coach O, for Ed Orgeron. He and LSU had mutually agreed to part ways, and he said that he would not coach a bowl game and that offensive line coach Brad Davis was going to take over as interim coach. But after the game, when he was being interviewed after the victory, he gave it to us one final time. Give it to me one more time. Go Tigers! Coach O, of course, presided over the undefeated national championship team in 2019. Since then, though, he's gone 11 and 11 and won't be back as the head coach of the LSU Tigers. And Randy, I love Coach O. I think that he is the personification of LSU football. And I understand that the standards are very high for a program mm-hmm. like LSU and that there was some stuff behind the scenes that maybe they weren't pleased with. But I just cannot imagine anyone out there that will care for the program and represent LSU the way Coach O did. No, and no patience. And granted, there were some things behind the scenes happening that caused Coach O and LSU to part ways. But ultimately, it came down to wins and losses. And when you lose, you're you're receiving, you, you lose the first pick in the draft, Joe Burrow. You lose your receiving tandem of Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. You lose Clyde Edwards-Alaire. You lose Patrick Queen. You lose Kavion uh, Chason. Uh, you lost a ton of good players. Plus, you lost your offensive coordinator in Joe Brady. Yep, you lost your big. defensive coordinator in Dave Aranda. And then you expect to come back the next year and do it again? I don't think that that's realistic. And I think that that's the general, my general feeling about LSU fans is that Florida fans, too, unrealistic in their expectations, especially in a conference and in LSU's case, a division with Nick Saban and Alabama. Should note, by the way, that Barry Odom's last offensive line coach here at Mizzou in 2019 was one Brad Davis, who's going to be coaching that game for LSU. Interesting. Yeah. I I mean, life comes at you fast. 2019, you're, you have Joe Burrow smoking cigars and you're dancing Mm -hmm. in confetti. And here we are in in November of 2021, and he is without a job. Yeah, and LSU finding it difficult, apparently, to find somebody to take that job. Go Tigers! You're killing me, Small! Go Tigers. I'm going to miss that. I really am. So, Randy, Brendan Lemieux is the son of Claude Lemieux, and Brady Kachuk is the son of Keith Kachuk. Well, uh, Claude and Keith fought each other in the 1996 World Cup of Hockey, and it was like father-like son in the Senators' King game on Saturday, except this one, Randy, was taken to another level. Take the whistle, and now we'll get a little shoving match after the whistle here. Maybe a little more in the corner with Lemieux and Lazard involved. Brady Kachuk in there, and Kachuk is... All tangled up right in the corner and 
Finds Ben Levar Sutanik. Sutanik trying to break up Kachuk and Lemieux. Well, this is a family feud that goes back a lot, a lot longer than just the last few seasons these guys have played against each other. Their fathers have battled hard over the years as well. And these two guys, whether they're lying down or standing up, they're still throwing punches. Battle in the bloodlines here. There's some extra shots being given here. Oh, no, there's the, yeah. they're on the ground. They haven't well, they're stopped. They're still going. And I don't know if he thinks he's, he bit him or... He is. Yeah, he's saying he, said he, he bit, bit me. Don't read lips, kids, but Kachuk trying to claim that Lemieux has bit him here. So Brady Kachuk saying, he bit me, he bit me. Lemieux was given a five-minute major. The play was reviewed. Lemieux was eventually ejected from that game after Brady Kachuk showed his hands to a referee. And after the game, he spoke to TSN. Brady Kachuk did, and he was not happy. Here's the quote. This is the one time I'm going to answer this. It was the most gutless thing somebody could ever do. This guy, you can ask any one of his teammates. Nobody ever wants to play with him. This guy is a bad guy and a bad teammate. He focuses on himself all the time. This guy's just a joke. He shouldn't be in the league. This guy's gutless. No other team wants him. He's going to keep begging to be in the NHL, but no other team is going to want him. He's an absolute joke. I can't even wrap my head around it. People don't even do this. He's just a bad guy. It's outrageous. Kids don't even do that anymore. Babies do that. I don't even know what he was thinking. He's just a complete brickhead. He's got nothing up there. Bad guy, bad player, but what a joke he is. Good for Brady Kachuk. And those are the sorts of things that were said about Brendan Lemieux's dad, Claude. He was the, the exact same kind of player. It was the old uh, Dino Cicerelli. I can't believe I shook his freaking hand. <laughs> uh, yeah, he and Brendan Lemieux is not what you want in the NHL. And good for Brady Kachuk yeah. for letting it fly afterwards. Yeah. And I, I just love that quote. Quote, he's just a complete brickhead. <laughs> that's a that's a word that is underutilized in hockey, isn't it, brickhead? It is. It's very good. It's a great descriptive term. But who bites somebody in a it's fight? It's unreal. Especially when, as you heard in, in the play-by-play there, they were on the ice. He had him pinned down, basically, and he's going to bite him? How does that not violate some COVID protocol? It really should. <laughs> it really should. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. Coming up, we're going to cross things over with Danny Mack. The Danny Mac Show featuring BK coming up at the top of the hour here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. show with BK coming up at the top of the hour. Michelle, Randy, and Dan McLaughlin here in studio. Good to see you. How was Thanksgiving? It was awesome. How about you guys? You have a good Thanksgiving? It was terrific. Thank Great. you. Great. Great. So Max Scherzer, <laughs> 40 million a year. 42 maybe. 42. Is it official yet? Not yet. And it might be three. It might be four. We don't know. You know, I was thinking uh, about Scott Boris representing uh, so many of these guys, but in particular, Max Scherzer. If Max Scherzer wants to go to the West Coast, mm-hmm. well, you, you got to have other bidders maybe out there to up the ante, and maybe you're using the Mets, you know, and you're saying, well, yeah, we, we got offered uh, 40, you know, $42 million a year, and all of a sudden the Angels and uh, the Dodgers get involved. We'll see. Wouldn't that make Steve Cohen mad? Yes. Oh. Well, they spent some money this weekend, 
Well, yeah. all of Major League Baseball is spending yeah. money right now. Almost five hundred million on pitchers this week. Starting it's crazy. This week. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it, it's apparent that the uh, a lot of these players and a lot of the teams want to get things done before this this deadline hits. I guess what is it Wednesday night? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, and it's you got to get the legal work, the pages through. It's got to go through MLB approval through their offices. Then you have to get the uh, the player to come in and take a physical. I mean, it's it's time consuming. So that's why today could be a very very busy day because you have tomorrow and then Wednesday and that's it. Joel Sherman just tweeted that he heard the Mets offer to Scherzer is in the three year hundred and twenty nine million dollar range, about forty three million a year. Wow! And for a thirty seven year old pitcher that had a dead arm in the World Series, right? But they are comfortable with what they see with his medicals. Yeah, I, I mean that was the end of the year, and I I understand it's a. a unique circumstance and how he was used by the Dodgers that you could get that dead arm it just it is you know if you would have told me that a guy that's 37 with that kind of mileage I don't care if it was Bob Gibson or Max Scherzer is going to get that kind of money wow it's incredible so let's let's not shut down the sport I think we have plenty of money in the sport as we're seeing it seems like it yeah. this situation also reads to me like a guy that refuses to lose again in Steve Cohen that no matter mm-hmm. what other offer another team is going to make Max Scherzer he's going to win this one and and they have uh, ultimately you know improved immensely in 48 hours when you get uh, Starling Marte and you get uh, the the cat from Oakland uh, Canna. Oh, Canna. Canna, Canna, yeah. They got him. Um, so their lineup should be pretty good. But can they pitch? And mm-hmm. uh, if you lose Stroman, you're not going to have Syndergaard. You've lost out on Steven Matz. So they, can you they, imagine they're going to have to get some pitching. DeGrom and Scherzer would be pretty fun to start on your wow. first two games of the season. Though. Yeah, it definitely would. And Scherzer has bought a, a home in the, in Jupiter. So Port St. Lucie is probably 20, you know, 20 to 30 minutes yeah. north so that's where the Mets train for spring training, which would, I'm assuming, make it even more attractive yeah. for him to go to New York. Here's some perspective for you, though. Again, Joel Sherman reporting that the offer to Scherzer three years, three years and $129 million. 25 years ago, not too long ago, the DeWitt family bought the Cardinals and the parking garages for $150 million and sold the garages for 90 And now you're talking about a player getting 129 over three after the, the entire stadium and the franchise were sold for 150 million. What it's year incredible. was that? 1996. Oh my goodness! I guess it was the winter of 95, going into 96, right, right. and it was the land, the garages, and the ballpark, and right. the team, and the team. Yeah, pretty good deal, I'd say. I'd say it worked out. That is outright. When you think of what players across sports make, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is getting a half a billion dollar right. deal, and you could get the Cardinals, one of the most storied franchises in all of sports. Granted, it was a different time. You know, money was different then, but for $150 million. Yeah, it's a hell of a deal. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good. Smart business so. people. Yeah. It's worked out, and I think it's been beneficial for everybody. Do you think it makes ownership look bad, though, to spend a half billion on pitching in the in a week leading up to a lockout where you say the system is broken? Well, I, I think it, it just says to me that there's just so much money in the sport. Don't screw it up. Yeah, right. You, you know, I mean, Noah Syndergaard is, hasn't pitched essentially for two years and gets $22.5 million or whatever it was. You know, the, the money is there, clearly. Um, now, are there flaws with the sport? There's some warts with the sport that need to be worked out for sure. In, in, in particular, I think what happens in the consumption of the sport you know what TV deals? What what's happening with that? Um, that's a big, I'm sure, a, a major component of what needs to get worked out here. 
uh, what happens in the the time of games, you know, to make Mm -hmm. it more appealing to your young fan. We got a lot of young fans, but we also are losing out on a lot of young fans too. And and just stuff like this, it just I don't know, for me it's not a good look for the sport. I think you just keep it going. I mean, to me, I advance it by another year. Just play by the same rules for another year and, and keep working this thing out. But I don't think it's a good thing to shut down the sport, although maybe we learn something from this. Um maybe we should put a deadline on on free agent signings and then there's a Mm-hmm. a freeze of it until spring training because this has been, been front great. page news if you're a baseball fan every single day and now everybody if you're a baseball fan you're checking what what's going on with Max Scherzer what's going to happen with this guy where's Freddie Freeman you know does he want to get something done now so it, it has made that part of it kind of interesting I couldn't agree more think about how many people didn't want to go to bed last night because they wanted to see what happened yeah. with Max Scherzer mm-hmm. and that's so great for baseball if you, if you can capitalize on some of the things other sports do that make them exciting like within the NBA you see a lot of transactions of big stars and it happens in a condensed period of time baseball should try to replicate that it's good for baseball this essentially it seems like it feels like uh, the winter meetings yeah, no, yeah. we're not having um, discussions on rule changes right now. And, you know, there's not breakaway groups that are talking about this aspect of the game or that aspect of the game. But we are having player movement, which is a lot of times what happens, obviously, at the winter meetings. And hopefully there will be more today. Meanwhile, you are good friends with Dave Peacock. And if you want to hear our interview with Dave Peacock, you'll be able to hear it on our podcast at 101 ESPN or where 101ESPN.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And I was disappointed and Michelle was disappointed with the outcome, the ultimate result of $790 million. And I think more no trial. I don't think the 790, the, the final figure was as much of a factor as no trial. But Dave has reached closure with everything that happened to him during the whole relocation saga. And I was telling Michelle, if, if Dave and Bob Blitz are able to reach a level of closure with that aspect of it. With the, everything they went through and right. seen and, and the time spent with yeah, no money at gave, that point. Gave up their lives yeah. for, for more than a year, two years. I'm, I, I won't reach closure in terms of rooting against the Rams. But in that saga, it's over. Yeah. And this is now, it now. Yeah, now we have to move on. It's done. Um. I would assume that it's done, and uh, in terms of the NFL, <laughs> their appetite to ever come back to St. Louis is, you know, you, with what they've gone through and what's happening now, I don't think there's any chance nope. that that would happen. So you got to move on. It's closure. I, I think if you would have told me when Dave and Bob Blitz started this that um, the PSL holders are going to get their money back, mm, okay, that's pretty good. And the city's going to get $790 million. That's pretty good. And the Taylor family is going to step up and build a stadium and bring MLS to town on a blighted piece of land that hadn't drawn uh, a a cent of tax dollar money in decades. I think he would have felt pretty good about it. Now, as we went down this road, it seemed like more and more people were jumping on the bandwagon. And I saw Dave from the beginning. I mean, it Mm -hmm. was, you know, they put in a lot of, and and you, you saw it too, Randy. I mean, they put a lot of time and effort into this just to get, to this point, um, the fan in me would have loved to have seen what would have happened at trial. Mm-hmm. The try to be pragmatic about it in me that that person looks at it big picture in what's happened since that time, and there's a lot. There's a lot of good things that have happened. Now, as we advance the story, and I was saying this to you guys, I, I'm going to be fascinated how this money is spent. I mean, I want to see how it's spent, I, and 
to use a NFL term, you're on the clock. The politicians are on the clock they with are. this. And I think more and more people want to know, what are you going to do with this, the, the, the money in the city specifically? To Is it going to go to, to help out the Dome to bring in conventions, which then brings in revenue? Are we doing something about the crime situation in downtown, which then helps your perception of bringing these things? I mean, there, there's just I, education. I mean, there's so many things that you could do to spend this. Why? I mean, don't $790 million is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So want to see it done right. We're looking forward to your show coming up here. Jesse Rogers of ESPN, one of the great uh, baseball writers. And um, I'm sure he's got a lot on his mind with what's happening with all this frenzy of, of spending money in the game. And he also has a real good pulse of the labor situation. Yeah, he, he's he, really good. He and uh, Andrew Miller are tight. So yes. hopefully we'll get some some good info about that situation. I Man, I just, you know, a week from now, we're talking then about the labor situation. Are we going to hear stuff coming out? I Just just get it done. Yep. I'm with get you. it done, yep. man. Great Jeez. job today. By and you our... guys got to get to Jupiter. For spring training. That's Thank you, Dan. The key, yeah. yeah. It's very uh, important. Andrew yes. Mars doing a great job as our producer engineer today. Thank you. Oh, well, I appreciate it. Wearing his Stanley Cup Finals blues cap today. Michelle, this was fun. It was. I'll see you tomorrow. Absolutely. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.